It's Daily Thunder, the truth of Jesus Christ dished out live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado with a bit of manly grit and gusto. Find out more at live.ellerslie.com. Now, here's today's special guest, Dan McConaughey. Good morning. With our new semester starting up here, we have... uh, a lot of people in a lot of different places. Eric and Nathan are both somewhere. And so I get to do our daily thunder. So let's open in prayer. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the blessing of a day like this. Lord, a beautiful day, a day that you have made. And Lord, our intent is to rejoice and be glad in it because of you. Lord, you have recreated us. Being in Christ, Lord, we're new creations, and I thank you for that. So I ask you, Father, to bless Eric and Nathan as they're out at, the, uh, at a uh, conference, that you would bless today as we have our semester registration and as we go into the various things this weekend to prepare for the, the next five weeks. And we entrust this time to you, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, Nathan has been teaching on Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, and it's really been extraordinary. I don't know how many of you have been listening to that, but it's really been great. And so I, when I got the opportunity to have this morning, I talked with Nathan a little bit about it, and I decided that I was going to give us a slight history overview of the church in Ephesus. It's really a unique overview. We actually have in Scripture a history of almost the entire life of the church in Ephesus. And so I want to divide it into about three main parts as we go through it. And just to to look at it for our own edification, but also for our own warning. So, the, the intended outcome of teaching is usually one of two things. It's either for, either for more knowledge or for a relationship with Jesus. And that's what we're aiming for. Maybe a little bit more knowledge, but for sure, a deeper, better relationship with Jesus. Um, the other thing that I want to address just a little portion of to begin with is the issue of doctrine. Well, doctrine in the New Testament was referring to the teachings of Jesus. Doctrine today, in in the way that we view doctrine in most churches and in most, most Christians today, is the means of knowing whether or not another person is wrong. That's normally what we do with doctrine. Rather than seeing it as the teachings of Jesus, we use it as a standard of evaluation that says, oh, I'm right and they're wrong. So we want to we quit doing that. We want to start having the right way. So as we look at this, what we have here in the Word of God, we want to look at it as, okay, how will this help me know Jesus better? Jesus himself, John 5:39, says, all Scripture bears witness of me. So that's what we want to do with this. So let's take a look at the city of Ephesus. Ephesus is a unique city. Ephesus was the fourth most important city in the world 
in the days of the church at Ephesus. It was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. It had, depending on the, on the, the person doing the estimates, it had approximately 250 to 350,000 people. So it was a substantial sized city. Now, the church at Ephesus, they said, if we give a real conservative estimate, they say that at its peak, the church at Ephesus was 25,000 people. If we look at a generous estimate, I've seen estimates as high as 125,000 Christians in Ephesus. And yet they didn't have a church building. Isn't that an interesting thing? And they called the church the church at Ephesus. They didn't call it the churches in Ephesus. It was the church at Ephesus. So there's a characteristic there that's, that's unique that Paul talked about quite often. And it was the unity that the Christians had. Because not having a church building and not having a, a synagogue that they met at on a regular basis like that, they met in homes. They went from house to house daily. They were still a small groups of people who were known as the church. So if we look at the planting of the church, we get some ideas about the, how it was planted. In Acts 18, we have a reference. Uh, it's Acts 18, verse 18, actually. <clears throat> says that he, he was, he remained many days longer, Paul, and took leave of the brethren and set out for Syria, and with him were Priscilla and Aquila. And they came to Ephesus, and he left them there. Now he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews, and when they asked him to stay for a longer time, he did not. So that was the first time that Paul had been to Ephesus. He went there, and he reasoned with the Jews in the synagogue. They asked him to stay. He said, no, he couldn't. Now, he came back a little bit later, and um, after he'd gone back down to Antioch, he started on his third missionary journey. And in verse 24 of Acts 18, it says, Now a certain Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus, and he was mighty in scriptures. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus being acquainted only with the baptism of John. So the first believers in Ephesus received the message that John preached. Repentance, baptism for repentance. They didn't didn't have any more than that. So when Paul came, if you remember, he found 12 disciples and he said to them, he, something must have been going on because he asked them, one of the first questions he asked them was, did you guys receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. And he said, well then what were you baptized into? And they said, we were baptized with John's baptism. So the first disciples in Ephesus were a product of the ministry of John the Baptist because Apollos received his teaching from John the Baptist and then went to Ephesus 
and taught that. And now Apollos got corrected. Aquila and Priscilla corrected him before he continued on. But these 12 continued as basically disciples of John the Baptist. So that was the first introduction of the church of the gospel into Ephesus was by John the Baptist. Now, some really interesting characteristics about those disciples. Did you notice that they were teachable? They received the correction and they received the Holy Spirit. It wasn't that they just capitulated. They actually were saved. They were baptized into Jesus. Um, so that's the beginning of the church of Ephesus. Kind of an awkward beginning. Now, back to the city. What type of people? What was Ephesus known for? Ephesus was known for the Temple of Diana. They actually had an amphitheater. The second amphitheater that they built would seat 25,000. The first one would seat 50,000. 50,000 worshipers of Diana. That's a pretty impressive amphitheater. The town was extremely diverse. They, had, they were the foremost um, commerce, city of commerce in Asia, and they had roads that went everywhere. It was the crossroads of, of all the trading stuff that was going on. And so they had people from all different nationalities, all different beliefs, all different systems, all different kinds of stuff. The, the, um, they had very poor people, all the way to extremely wealthy people. They had pagan superstitions, magic, idolatry, uh, very diverse practices when it came to moral issues. It was a very difficult city. And yet, the gospel, when it was planted there, took root, and at least 25,000 Christians, maybe as many as 125,000 Christians, in a city of maybe 250 to 300,000 people. That is huge reproduction. So as the church was planted there, it took root, and it even points out that when Paul went back there on his third journey for three years, it says that during that time that Paul was in Ephesus for three years, the entire province of Asia heard the gospel. It says everyone in Asia heard the gospel. Paul didn't have the capabilities physically to make that happen. So you know who did? The Christians in Ephesus. The church at Ephesus reached out and proclaimed the gospel to every person living in the, in the province of Asia. So we'll call that part of Ephesus, the Ephesian history, we'll call that the planting or the sprouting and maybe even a little bit of weeding was going on there because they had to deal with some of the stuff. You remember um, the magicians, the people who practiced magic came and burned all of their magic books to the point of 50,000 pieces of silver. That's enough to 
buy a lot of magic books. <laughs> so we have the, the, the planting, the way that it was started. So let's go into the second part of it, the nurturing and the watering and the producing. Who were the people, who were the, the Christian leaders that we know of who went to Ephesus? Pretty interesting. Paul was there for three years. How would you like to be in a church where Paul, the Apostle Paul, was the discipler of the church for three years. That'd be pretty, pretty cool. <laughs> I would like that. Uh, Timothy was there. Timothy was there quite a while. In fact, he was there when Paul wrote the first book of Timothy, and he was there, still there when Paul wrote the second book of Timothy. So Timothy, who was Paul's intended baton receiver, the one who would carry on the ministry that Paul started, he was there for quite a while. Um, Priscilla and Aquila were there. They were noted several times in Scripture for the quality of leadership that they gave. Apollos had been there. He was noted. Uh, Erastus, one of Paul's traveling companions on two of his missionary journeys, was there. Uh, Trophimus, who was actually... Uh, from Asia, but he wasn't from uh, Ephesus. He was a church leader there for a while. Uh, however you pronounce it, Tychicus or Tychicus. He was there, and he was an Ephesian. Now, Erastus, Trophimus, Tychicus, Onesiphorus, they all traveled with Paul on two of his missionary journeys. And yet, they were based out of Ephesus. John, the disciple, lived there as one of the leading elders for 20 years. Now, think back to the resurrection or to the crucifixion of Jesus. Think back to the crucifixion of Jesus. Who was John responsible for? Jesus' mother, Mary. So, we actually have a point in the city of Ephesus, which doesn't exist anymore, it's just ruins, but we have a point there that is noted as the tomb of Mary, the mother of Jesus. There's another Mary, whose name was Magdalene, who also was noted as having lived in Ephesus. So we have some substantial leadership there. John, Paul, Timothy, Mary was there, the two Marys. This is what nurtured the church at Ephesus to become the quality of church that it was. And if you listen to the, the teaching that Nathan has been giving, the church at Ephesus was a substantial church. If you look at the first eight chapters of the book of Romans as a foundation, the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians is what comes next. That's the, that is a sequence that we can look at. If you want to see what is what the natural, godly, spiritual outgrowth of the first eight chapters of Romans is, look at the first three chapters of Ephesians. All through Romans, we have the reconciliation and, and the life of Christ and so forth, and we get in, and in 30, 30 times in the first three chapters of Ephesians, 
it speaks of being in Christ. In him, in him, 30 times. That's the outcome of having appropriated the first eight, verse, eight chapters of um, Romans there. So we have the nurturing that goes on. And when Paul was at Ephesus, he, he worked some miracles. He, he did quite a few things like that. There was really unique things. That's where the seven sons of Siva got beat up and fled naked because of the, the demons who said, yeah, we know Jesus and we know Paul, but we don't know you guys. So Paul had made an impression even on the demons there that were present at Ephesus. <clears throat> if we look at Acts 20, Paul is on his way and he stops in Miletus and he calls for the elders in Ephesus. And so the, Ephes the elders come and he points out how he lived while he was in Ephesus. And we have some, we find ourselves in a culture and in a time when there's a lot of junk that goes on in the church. Um, you know, right now there's the, the, I guess you would call it a scandal to a degree going on in a church in Texas. Um, that it was handled as well as the church could handle it, but once the media gets a hold of something like that, it becomes quite scandalous. But listen to Paul's description of how he lived when he was in Ephesus. He said, you yourselves know from the first day I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears, with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, bound in spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. So he was, that was a substantial testimony. He didn't have to go in and say, guys, forgive me for, for these things. I'm going to go die now and um, <clears throat> trying to get things right. He pointed out, hey, I lived before you in a way that I could say to you, follow me as I follow Christ. <clears throat> pretty substantial life there. When we look at verse 18, no, let's go a little bit further along. When we look at verse 28, he makes a comment to the people, to the elders in Ephesus. <clears throat> he says, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that day and night, for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. 
Now, why do you think he told them to be alert? Because the world needs more alerts? No. Why did, why did Paul tell them to be alert? What value was it to be alert? Some of you may have heard me give him uh, one of these daily thunders here a while back called uh, Left of Bane. And Left of Bane means that you're before a deadly event happens. If you remember, the thief cometh not but to steal, kill, and destroy. Bang is when the enemy steals, kills, destroys, devours, dis, dis, um, not dismembers the church, but destroys. That, that's what bang is. It's like when the IED goes off or when the sniper shoots. After bang, when you get to the right of bang, it's too late. Well, how do you stay left of bang? You stay alert. You notice when there's something going on, and when there's something going on, you take action to correct it. You solve that problem. You turn around and go the other way. That's why Paul tells Timothy, uh, Paul or Timothy, you need to flee youthful lusts. Well, why? Because if he doesn't, he'll yield to them. And so Timothy needs to be alert. Oh, I recognize that. That's one of the areas I have a problem. I'm going to go this way. And so when Paul tells them to be alert, it's for a reason. It's because he's recognizing that they're going to be attacked, and if they don't handle it well, they will end up right of bang rather than staying left of bang where it's safe. So he's told them what's going to happen. Wolves are going to come in from outside and from among yourselves. He was talking to the elders. From among yourselves, men will rise up, perverse men, saying things to draw people away from God to follow themselves. Do we see any of that happening today? We see that happening a lot today. So we find that during the nurturing and watering and producing period, Paul is warning the saints in Ephesus of something that, that may or may not happen. It may not happen if they stay alert. But it probably will happen if they don't. If we look at some other places that we think about the church of Ephesus as coming out in Acts 18, 19, and 20, and in the book of Ephesians. But did you know that the book of John was written by John from Ephesus? 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, all written by John while he was in Ephesus. And if you look at the content and the direction that those epistles and that the book was written, it was written for the churches in Asia. Well, where did John write the book of Revelation from? Anybody remember? Patmos. And while he wrote the book from Patmos, who did he write it to? 
the first church that's listed is Ephesus. And it's the only church that's of those seven that he wrote to, which were all from Asia, from around that same area, part of the fruit of the church of Ephesus. Because if you remember, the gospel went out from Ephesus to everyone in Asia. So the other six churches were planted from Ephesus, whether by Paul or the saints in Ephesus. And yet, Ephesus is told, there's a lampstand that you have, and you have to be careful careful, or it will be taken away from you. None of the other six churches are noted as having a lampstand or being a lampstand. It says that the seven churches, the seven lampstands are the seven churches, but in the letter to Ephesus, it specifically says, be careful or I will take your lampstand. The book of 1 Timothy was written to Timothy, and if we look at why, verse 3 As I urged you upon my departure for Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus in order that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines. So this was five years after the book of Ephesians was written. Five years later. And it's approximately four years after Acts 20 was written. So we look at this and realize now with Timothy being in Ephesus as probably one of the leading elders, Paul is writing to him about the same thing. Hey, Timothy, I left you there for a specific reason, to take care of the false doctrine, to take care of the, the um, strange doctrines. Well, 2 Timothy is also written two years later also to Timothy while he is in Ephesus. And if you look at 2 Timothy, it's about the false doctrines. Two full chapters are committed, of four, are committed to to the false doctrine issue. So that's the nurturing, watering, and producing. We, We see that they were very faithful. They were very effective evangelistically. They did a great job reaching out, planting churches, but they also didn't do a great job in following Paul's warning. Guys, be on the alert because this is going to happen. Now Paul is sending Timothy, telling Timothy, these men are there teaching strange doctrines. He says, I left you there in order that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines. So they were there now. So the elders, this, this was a concerning thing to me. The elders did a great job in some things, but they were apparently lacking in discernment. They were either lacking in discernment or they were lacking in courage to deal with the false teachings. Well, once we get to the wilting, withering, and dying 
Remember we started out with planting, sprouting, and a bit of weeding? The second session was nurturing, watering, and producing. Then in the third one, it's the wilting, withering, and dying. In uh, 2 Timothy 1, verse uh, 16. Remember, Onesiphorus was from Ephesus. And so Paul says, The Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he was in Rome, he eagerly searched me out and found me, and the Lord grant him mercy. You know very well what service he rendered at Ephesus. And then he goes on into... Uh, he prefaces that by saying you've got to retain sound doctrine. You have to retain the standards. Guard yourself. Guard what has been entrusted with you. So 2 Timothy is all about the same thing. So how did they do? The question. How did the church at Ephesus do? Well, if we go to Revelation 2, and remember... This is the church that 30 years before received the letter to the Ephesians that Nathan is teaching. 30 years before. Now we're here. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands says this, and if, if we could just read part of it, we'd love to be that church. <laughs> he says, I know your deeds. I know your toil and perseverance. You cannot endure evil men. You put to the test those who call themselves apostles and they are not and they're found to be false. You have perseverance. You've endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. But I have this against you. You have lost your first love. Therefore, remember where you have fallen. Repent and do the deeds you did at first. Or else, I'm coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Now, it's, it's interesting that it mentions their works their labor, and their patience. Uh, let's take a look at 1, Corinthians, or 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 3. Remember what those were? That was labor, works, labor, and patience. Works, labor, and patience. So, 1 Thessalonians 1, 3. When Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, he enumerates that pretty well. He says, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith, works, your labor of love, love, and your patience of hope. So now we have what Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, but now abide faith, hope, and love your works of faith, your labor of hope, and your labor of love, your works of faith, and your steadfastness of uh, hope. 
works of faith, labor of love, steadfastness of hope, faith, hope, and love. So when he's talking to the church in, in, in um, Ephesus, he says, I know your deeds, your works, and your perseverance, and your labor, the very things that in Ephesus he calls faith, hope, and love. I mean, in Thessalonians, he calls faith, hope, and love. But he says, one thing I have against you. You've left your first love. Now, he was concerned with the saints in Corinth. In 2 Corinthians 11, he said, I fear for you. I fear for you. He's, in the verse before that, in verse uh, 1 and 2, he says, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. If you remember what jealousy needs, jealousy needs a lover, a beloved, a relationship, and a threat to the relationship. Jealousy to be godly must have those four things in place. There must be a lover, a beloved, a relationship, and a threat to the relationship. And so when Paul addresses the church at Corinth, he says, I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy because I fear, there's, he recognizes a threat, I fear that as the serpent deceived Eve, that you also would be distracted from devotion to Christ. They would lose their first love. Now, if you remember, what was the consequence of Eve being deceived? What do we call it? The fall. What do you think the consequence of the church being distracted is? If Paul says, as this, then this. So, as the church, as Eve was distracted, as Eve was deceived, that you also would be distracted. This is what the church at Ephesus, what do you think they were distracted by? It names it. I know your deeds, your toil and perseverance. You cannot endure evil men. You put to the test those that are called apostles, and they are not. You found them to be false. So they're good works. They're um, good doctrine. You have perseverance. You've endured. They have everything except devotion. The very things, just like Jesus said in, in Matthew, that the things that will keep you from bearing fruit are the cares of this world and the desire for pleasurable things. So we look at this and we think, whoa, that's a scary situation. That's a scary situation to have Jesus write you a personal letter it says, I know you. You're doing really good in everything, but you've lost your first love. So in 110, now John wrote this in about 92 AD, about the year 92. In 110, 
not very long later, 18 years later, a Christian man, leader in the church, responsible for the churches in Asia, his name was Ignatius of Antioch. He wrote a letter specifically to the Ephesians. And that letter focuses on three things. Focuses on their lack of unity, their lack of submission to godly authority, and their willingness to be deceived. So in 110, the head of the church in Asia wrote a letter to Ephesus about those three things. Sounds really familiar, the very same things that Paul talked to Timothy about, that Paul talked to the elders about, that Jesus talked about. And we have extant. That means that we actually have, not here in our possession, but there was a series of Christian disciples, pilgrims, who were on a pilgrimage, who walked through Ephesus in right around the year 200. So this is 90 years after Ignatius wrote his book, his letter to them. We actually have a letter from these Christian pilgrims who commented that they found no evidence of Christianity in Ephesus. And they actually had to rebuild the city and rebuild, I mean, rebuild the church in the city in order to have the Council of Ephesus in the late 300s. They had to rebuild a church because there wasn't a church. And if you go to Ephesus today, it doesn't exist. It's just a pile of rubble. So the warning that we have, the warning that we have is to not be distracted from our purity and simplicity to devotion to Christ, our love for Christ. How many people get distracted by knowing the right thing, doing the right thing, saying the right thing, and they lose their first love? Daily Thunder is a production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training and the Bravehearted Media Group. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and see it once again gain the stride of the Spirit emboldened and brave. The Daily Thunder video stream can be watched live daily at 8.15 a.m. Mountain Time, Monday through Saturday, and 7.15 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. Please consider booking a stopover at the lovely Ellerslie campus at the foot of the majestic Rocky Mountains for one day, one week, one semester, or for an entire season. We hope to see you someday soon live and in person. Thanks for listening.